2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether it whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will um, more glad... Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our hearts, will be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we're going to take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that section of scripture I just read to you. Uh, Paul is in the middle, if you're reading all of Corinthians, uh, Paul's kind of in the middle of what you might call a rant. Uh, he's kind of cranky, he's a little bit upset with the church in Corinth, uh, and he's particularly upset with a bunch of teachers who were causing a division in the church in Corinth and were leading them in the wrong direction. Uh, Bible scholar N.T. Wright, a guy that I, I really enjoy. In fact, I'm, I'm taking a, an online class with him right now in the book of Galatians where Paul takes on the people in Galatia, too, for not following what they should have been following. But he, he, Wright talks about how these leaders actually were bragging about their achievements and they kind of wallowed in the culture of success and showmanship. And I thought to myself, isn't it a good thing that there aren't churches or Christian personalities who try to do that today? Well, there are a few. But if you could backtrack a little bit in chapters 10 and 11 of, of 2 Corinthians, Paul complains about their behavior, but he defends his authority as a leader in the church and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But now in chapter 10... He talks about an incredible spiritual experience that he had, although he talks about it in the third person. As I read it, you probably wonder who he was talking about. He's talking about himself. This was an experience, was a, this experience was a vision in which he was caught up into paradise and he saw things in heaven that no one is permitted to tell. Now, his point about this is this. He said, these false teachers brag about their spiritual dreams and visions and experiences. And Paul said, I'm the greatest of them all. And guess what? I don't even begin to talk about what I've seen. In verse 6, he said, I refrain so that no one will think more of me 
than is warranted by what I do or say. And then Paul goes on and talks about something that is very familiar to most Christians. It is this thorn in the flesh and what he was able to learn from it. And this is what we want to focus our attention on today. Now, I titled this message, A New Way to Look at Your Biggest Problems. I probably could have called it Dealing with Thorny Issues, or Do You Have a Thorn, or Please Take the Thorn Out of My Paw, or something like that. Uh, But you get the general idea. We're going to focus on this. We may not share Paul's experience of being caught up in the third heaven. I don't know whether any of you have suddenly had a dream one night and ended up walking around heaven or not. But we do experience his problem with what we would call thorns. Those would be weaknesses or insults or hardships or persecutions or difficulties, as he describes towards the end of this chapter. And like always, when we look at God's word, we learn the same lessons that he learned from dealing with life's biggest problems. Now, I want you to listen again. You can see it again on the back of your worship poll. These are verses 7 through 10. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations. I'm going to stop there because he said, this is really a big deal that I got caught up in the heaven and saw this. And he's really admitting that a person could become really conceited because he'd been there. But he said, in order to keep him from that, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. And then he gives it another name, a messenger of Satan, and then the reason to torment me. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, he said, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Now, let me stop right there. How many of you really delight in weaknesses? None of you. Okay. How many of you delight in being insulted, in hardships, persecutions, difficulties? Yet yeah, none of us do, but he goes on to say, because, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that interesting? When I'm at my weakest point, that's when I'm strongest. Now, this thorn in the flesh, no doubt you've heard about it before. What does it mean? I mean, that's a good Lutheran question. What does this mean? Now, we often think of a thorn in the flesh. You know, I grew up in Nebraska where you could get cockle burrs. And sometimes they'd catch up in your pants or whatever. You get them, and you had, it's just kind of like a, a little splinter. As something that gets under the skin, it hurts a little bit, and you just kind of pull it out. But the Greek word uh, for thorn, literally translated, is stake. S-T-A-K-E, not S-T-A-K. This is a stake. It was a kind of weapon that was often used to kill criminals. In other words, Paul was saying, this thing, this stake in the flesh... This thorn in the flesh is really big, and it can do some real damage. Now, we need to ask the next question. What was this thorn that he was talking about? What was this stake that tormented Paul so much? Well, he never says, but that has not stopped Bible scholars and Bible teachers from speculating on it for the last 2,000 years. I'm going to share a few of those with you. Uh, John Calvin Uh, believed it was the temptation to doubt. Martin Luther uh, said that the thorn was persecution. Other scholars say that it was sexual temptation. Uh, Others believe that it was his physical appearance, that he had some kind of deformity, that he was a hunchback or perhaps he suffered from a cleft palate. Others have said that it was epilepsy, 
which is why he often kind of threw himself down the ground and had what they said were visions or trances. Uh, early church fathers Jerome and Tertullian believed that it was severe headaches like migraines. A few of them thought that he suffered from uh, reoccurring symptoms of malaria since he spent so much time drifting around on the ocean being shipwrecked. There's a whole bunch more who think that Paul suffered from some form of eye trouble. They said that when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus, remember Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That he never fully healed, that God allowed those eye problems somehow to stay with him the rest of his life as a reminder of his first encounter with Jesus. And they say that's why the Galatians, and I've been studying this recently, I mean the Galatians actually said, he says to them, you guys would have actually plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And he actually ends up the book of Galatians by saying, see what large letters I make writing with my own hand. Now, there, there are myriads of speculations about Paul's thorn, Paul's stake in the flesh. Now, what do I believe? I believe that Paul didn't tell us. That's what I believe. And he didn't tell us for a reason. And the reason he didn't tell us, I think, is because it's not really important what his thorn was. What's important is what that thorn taught him and what it can teach us. Now, there are five things about thorns that I want to talk about this morning that I want to point out. And as I said, this will give you a whole new insight about all of these, the big problems that all of us face from time to time. And show us how to experience God's power when you least expect it. Now, the first thing about thorns is this. Thorns provide a necessary balance to life. Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of this surpassingly great revelation, this vision into heaven, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, this is the sad truth of a fallen nature. The sad truth of us being born, conceived, and sin. Without the thorns of life, it would be pretty easy for all of us to become too full of ourselves. I mean, people who experience nothing but success after success after success, who are always on the receiving end of praise and adoration from their adoring fans, tend to get a little bit conceited and self-centered. And guess what? This can even happen to us spiritually. I mean, I've known people who've had some, what I would consider really powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit, who afterwards were quite self-congratulatory about the whole process. Now, this isn't a good thing, which is why sometimes God in his mercy often intervenes in your life to kind of bring you back to reality. For example, I remember having a discussion once with a guy who did not agree with the theology implied in this verse about the thorn in the flesh. In fact, he was pretty hostile with the idea that God would actually put a thorn in our lives for our own good. He said, no, nah, that wouldn't happen. He said, without any irony at all, he said, I abhor the whole idea and I don't need a God who puts me in my place. I don't have a problem with pride and conceit, so I don't need a thorn in my flesh to keep me on track. I don't know if you caught how many eyes were in that sentence. There were four of them. And as he continued to talk, that word I kept popping up. And so I was kind of waiting for a punchline, like he was going to end up with a joke or something. But the truth is, he never ended that way. See, the truth is, friends, we all need thorns. We need little ones. We need big ones from time to time. 
We do need life's difficulties to help us keep things in perspective. And the one thing I guess that I've learned in my life is this, that the deeper or closer I get to God, the more often that God chooses to use me in ministry, the more annoying the thorns become. But they're a necessary part of life, and they do ultimately serve a purpose. But here's the second thing. Specific thorny details are best kept to yourself. In other words, I'm going to paraphrase this. If you've got a thorn in your flesh right now, that's your business. You don't need to blab it to everybody else. I'm going to explain why here in a moment. Now, Paul never disclosed the identity of his thorn, and I think that's a pretty good model to follow. I mean, people don't really need to know what your problems in life are. Now, if you came up to me and you say, Dr. Culp, do you have a thorn? I would say, yeah, and sometimes i got so many I feel like a rose bush. Uh, but there's no sense in us getting into a thorn-bragging competition. You know, like, oh, you think your thorn is so bad. Guess what? Take a look at the thorn I got. But, friends, this is not a competition as to who has the most problems or who can feel the worst about things. The idea is not to go on and on about the power of the thorn, The idea is to use it as an opportunity to experience and talk about the power of God. Now, I am absolutely positive that everybody that's here today uh, has a thorn in their flesh, a point of discouragement or hurt or whatever. And like Paul's thorn, sometimes it actually hinders you from doing uh, what you've been called by God to do. And sometimes, like Paul's thorn, it actually torments you. But rather than going on and on and on about it, I'd recommend that we all deal with those things the same way Paul did. And here it is. The right thing to do is to first pray for the thorn to be removed. Now, Paul said something interesting here. He said he prayed three times for this thorn to be removed. In fact, he said, I pleaded with the Lord. Now, if I ask you, have you prayed lately? You'd probably all go, yeah. What if I rephrase it and said, when was the last time you actually pleaded with God? You were on your hands and knees with tears in your eyes, and you begged him, and you pleaded him to take care of this problem in your life because it was absolutely, positively driving you crazy. You're making you nuts. That's a little bit different, isn't it, besides uh, praying and pleading. Now, some scholars say that this number three is symbolic, you know, meaning that he prayed about the thorn repeatedly. Others say that three is to be taken literally, that on three different occasions, Paul made a focused effort, whatever that might be. It might have been fasting and praying for a week or so, I don't know, but he made a focused effort in prayer Asking, pleading with God to take this problem out of his life, whatever that problem was. Now, my Greek professor, uh, we went through this in class, and, and he said that the grammar here uh, implies that he prayed and it was removed, but it came back, so he prayed again and it was removed and it came back, and so he prayed yet a third time before God gave him the final answer. Now, I don't know whether that's what happened or not. I mean, not all scholars would agree with that interpretation, but it's an interesting insight. The point is that the thorn 
was a matter of prayer for Paul. It was not a matter of blabbing it out to everybody else. What he was talking to was to God, asking, pleading, begging that this be removed. So when a big problem comes into your life, I don't know what that problem might be. Um, As I get older, I just hope the problems (laughs) just keep disappearing. They don't always seem to be that way. Uh, You all got them, and if you don't have a problem today, guess what? Tomorrow's coming. There's always a problem down the road somewhere. But when a problem does come in your life, Start by asking God to remove it. And what I've discovered is, most of the time, he actually does. I mean, for the overwhelming majority of problems and difficulties that come into your life, if you ask God for intervention, he will miraculously remove it, or he will give you means to solve the problem so that the problem is no longer there. But I need to be honest here, and it's something I think you already all know. There are other times when a situation comes into your life and you pray about it and the answer you get from God is not the one that you were looking for. That's what happened to Paul. A thorn came. The stake came. He begged God. He pleaded God. He prayed to God. They removed it. But God's answer was, uh, no, I am not going to remove this, but I'll give you the power to endure it. Now, whatever the problem comes, it's good, right, and salutary, as the old hymnal said, to pray about it first. You can pray for whatever you want to happen. That's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 6, don't be anxious about anything but in what? Everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you need. Now, I also know that a lot of people don't bother doing that. Uh, I've had people in my office when I said, well, what have you done about this? And they tell me, well, I talked to so-and-so, and and I talked to so-and-so, and and I talked to so-and-so. You know, I listened to what Oprah had to say about it, and what Ellen had to say about it, and all those guys. I said, have you prayed about it? And this person actually looked me right in the eye and said, oh, pastor, has it come to that? I mean, it's like, is my problem that bad that now I actually have to pray about it? (laughs) No, that's where you should have started. See, present them. Tell them what you want. And while doing this, be aware that sometimes his answer is going to be completely different than yours. I mean, sometimes he's going to tell you there is a reason why this situation is in your life. And here's why it needs to stay there for a little while. It leads us to number four. Thorns inspire reliance upon God. Now, here's something. If you've got what they call a red-letter edition Bible, you all know what a red-letter edition of the Bible is? It's where every word of Jesus is in red in the Bible. You ever seen one of those? Every time Jesus talks, the words are in red. Uh, In the Gospels, the words that Jesus spoke as he was teaching and preaching in ministry are always in red. And in in nearly all red-letter editions of the Bible, the words that Jesus speaks now to Paul are also red letters. Now, why shouldn't they be? I mean, because they're just as real as the Sermon on the Mount Mount, and the parable of the prodigal son. And what did Jesus say to Paul? Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I always love that word grace. Every time I see that word grace, I think of that little acronym of G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. But what are God's riches? 
Well, forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. But God's riches always came at a cost. They came at Christ's expense. What was that? Death, resurrection. Now, Paul goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I isn't that a great word? I delight in my weaknesses. When was the last time you ever called up a friend and said, I'm having problems, but I tell you, I'm happy. I'm happy. I got one. I delight in it. I seriously doubt that conversation hadn't happened often. Uh, in fact, I was insulted at work yesterday. I delighted in it. I delighted in hardships. I, somebody was persecuting me at school. I, I delight in that. Uh, I had difficulties. Now, but Paul has this really interesting attitude about this. It's almost like the guy is crazy. We can look at it and say, man, what's the matter with Paul here? Paul delights in this stuff? Yeah. Why? It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but let's go on here and figure out what it is. Well, what Paul is saying here, in effect, is when this thorn is getting the best of me, It actually drives me to rely on God more than other times because I know that I cannot beat this in my own strength. But what I've learned is when I rely on God, I have all the power that I need. Now, that's why Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 4, 14, he didn't say I can do everything through my own strength. But instead, he said, I can do everything through him. Who gives me the strength? It's also why in Ephesians 3.20, Christ is able to, uh, uh, Paul said that uh, Christ is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to the power that is work within us. See, it's the thorns in life, the little pesky problems, the big stakes, whatever, whatever they are. These are the things that really ought to drive us to the foot of the cross. And the more that we rely on him, the more you experience his power. And friends, it is a profound power. I mean, any God that can make a problem go away is a powerful God. But a God that can walk with you through a problem with fire raging and bullets flying and bombs exploding and who's able to get you safely to the other side, that is power indeed. And that's the power of God. And whenever the word power is used in the New Testament, that Greek word is dunamis, dynamite. I mean, man, dynamite. We've got power. Now, here's the fifth thing. Thorns aren't really as bad as they're made out to be. We like to make them big, but often they're not as big a deal. Have you ever listened to somebody complain about their problems and thought to yourself, that's a problem? Of course, you're also probably tempted to say, I should tell them about my problem. (laughs) I'm just saying that they're not nearly as bad as they're made out to be. Listen again to verses 9 and 10. He said, therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, and persecution, difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul's not just talking about this giant, secret, unnamed thorn in the flesh. Now he's talking all the different types of thorns and problems we experience. You got them. I could, I'll give you a list. I just wrote down a few. Weaknesses. 
You got any weaknesses in your life where you just can't quite get over the hump? You just, you kind of say, I don't know why I keep doing this. Or I don't know why I just can't get started on this project or whatever. Insults, hardships, persecutions. And Paul said, I delight in the thorns of my life. I delight in the problems that are coming my way. I remember a person who came to see me one time and said, Pastor, I'm here because I got problems. And I said, great. And he looked at me like I was nuts. I said, because if you look at the book of James, it says, I count it all joy when I have problems of all kinds. And the Greek there is multicolored, like the coat of uh, Joseph's coat of many colors. Because when you got a problem, guess what? Now you can work on it with God. That's kind of a cool deal. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight. I delight for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Now, I delight in the things that demonstrate my weaknesses because in the very same moment when I'm weakest, it can demonstrate the power of God. Now, friends, there, there are some problems that will come into your life or maybe have already come into your life or that are already in your life that on the surface <coughs> appear to have the power uh, to wipe you out. They appear to have the power to close the door on your future, or at the very least, they have the power to close the door on your peace of mind. It could be a financial problem, a health problem, marital problems, kid problems, in-law problems, health problems, boss problems, employer problems, employee problems, car problems, traffic problems. And just old problem problems. And they're all bigger than you are. No question about it. But if you approach them in the right way, they don't close the door on anything. In reality, they merely open the door to a deeper experience of God's power. So, that leads us to ask this question. What is the key to his power? Well, it's simply that. Relying on him in our weakness. Now, often we go about dealing with thorns the wrong way. When they come into our lives, what do we do? We kick and we scream and we complain and we get frustrated about our own weaknesses. And we resist what God is trying to do through this situation. And we will rely on almost anything except for his grace. Now, this is what I've learned in life. When you are weak and resistant, you are just weak. When you're weak and reliant, then you're strong. Let me say that again. When you're weak and resistant, you're just weak. But when you're weak and reliant, you're strong. That's why Paul could say, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, that's the real paradox in God's power. And I'll fully admit to you, it took me a long time to learn this in my own life. But, you know, when you come to him all the time full of yourself, guess what? There's no room for anything else. But when you come empty, he can fill your life with his presence and with his power. 
Now, thorns in the flesh come in all shapes and all sizes, and they are all just plain simple facts of life. Some, are, some of them are those little tiny, annoying little splinters, and some of them are those giant, unbearable, impaling spikes. And all of them have the power, at times, to knock us completely off our feet. But guess what? Sometimes that's not a bad thing. You ever thought about that when you were in the hospital? You ever been in the hospital and you're laying flat on your back and counting how many holes there are in the tiles of the ceiling and you're there for a week? But I would, I would bet that if you've ever been in a situation like that, maybe, maybe just maybe, you laid there and suddenly realized that flat on your back, away from everything else, is exactly where God wanted you so that he could talk to you. That's why sometimes these problems are not that big a deal. See, if you've got problems that are bigger than you are, do you know what you need to do? Rather than complain about it, rather than brag about it, pray about it. See what God wants you to do. Uh, maybe they're, they're there just for a season. Maybe it's there for a totally different reason than what you think. Whatever the case, whatever the cause... Use it as an opportunity to trust God more than ever before. Like I said before, when you are weak and resistant, you're just weak. But when you're weak and reliant, you're strong with the strength of God. And according to his word, the strength of his grace is all that you need to get through anything that life brings your way. In Jesus' name, amen.